If you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, I want to take us back to verse 5 for just a moment because whether you realize it or not or whether you understand it or not, all of us begin somewhere in our theology. And theology is just a fancy way really to explain the science of understanding God. In other words, how we know God. How do we relate to him? And so our theology always begins somewhere. For many people, their theology is kind of divided into two parts. One is their understanding of how God operated in the Old Testament, and the other is the understanding of how God operates apparently in the New Testament. And they often have a tendency to look at God, we call this dispensationalism, they, they have a tendency to look at God as if in the Old Testament he was really vengeful, wrathful, and angry, and he was actually only happy with just the Jewish people. And, and so a lot of people still relate to God because their beginning position of who they believe God is is someplace in the realm of he's holy, he's righteous, he's absolutely just, he is omniscient, He's omnipotent. In other words, he knows everything. He's all-powerful. And so many people simply begin their relationship in understanding God from the place of God is sovereign. And so because he's sovereign, here's how I'm going to try and understand him. And today I pray that as we look at these verses, that you'll come to the conclusion that there's actually one place that your theology ought to always start, and that is God's real love for you. God, above all other things, is not just simply holy. He is not just simply righteous. We are not under just an obligation. It is not that he created us. Christ came into the world that the world through him might be saved. It was for God so loved the world that Christ came in the first place. It was not that the world was just a mess and needed to be fixed. It was not that God has absolutely every right because he's sovereign to send his son. Jesus came because God loves us. And we need to start our theology in a place where we understand above all things that God loves us. And so I pray you'll be strengthened, encouraged, built up, and that your faith will grow in how much God loves you today. Would you join me? We'll pray, and then we'll pick up first in verse 5. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that in the beginning was not just the supreme being of the universe, not the uncaused cause, not the prime mover. In the beginning was a God who himself in three persons is love. And Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us from heaven. Impart to us your truth here on this earth. Help us to think rightly about you. We give you this time. We pray that you would use it for your spirit's desire in each of our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 5, 1 John chapter 2, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God 
is perfected in him, and by this we know that we are in him. And so verse 5 says that the way that you can understand someone who's well along their way of being the Christian that God intends us to be is that the love of God is actually perfected in them. That above all other things, and again, make no mistake, God is holy. Make no mistake, God does not want you to sin. Make no mistake, God knows everything. Make no mistake, God is powerful enough to do all things. Make no mistake about any of those things. But there is a prime place that each of us needs to start with our relationship and understanding God, and that is God is love. God is love. And so here in verse 5, our attention is drawn there. Now, let's jump down to verse 7 where we begin really our passage for today. Brethren, brothers and sisters, fellow sojourners in Christ, people who love the Lord like I do, brethren, brothers, sisters, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. Now, I want you to stop there for a moment and ask yourself a simple question. What beginning is John actually talking about? Probably most of you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, And that beginning is the beginning that's in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. You see, before there was a beginning to space and time and matter, there was God. In the beginning, that God was already as he is today. And yes, he was holy. Yes, he was all-powerful. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he has the right to govern the universe the way he wants because he is absolutely the sovereign king. In the beginning, he said, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. How did the beginning of the beginning begin? That may sound a little strange to you, but how did it begin? What happened with the first two people in the beginning? You know them as Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. In the beginning, there was a man and there was a woman. That man and that woman were anything but perfect. Amen? Even though they themselves were created in the very image of God, put in a perfect environment with zero understanding of sin, they were given one tree they couldn't eat of that beginning. How did that beginning begin? Well, what did they do? Exactly what you would have done. Wow, that tree looks nice. And they sinned. What was God's response? Now remember, God is holy. God is just. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He certainly knew what was going to happen. What was God's response to Adam and Eve who sinned? They did the one thing they were told they couldn't do. He slaughtered an innocent animal and covered them by his love. Who would have been around 
If God had chosen to wipe out Adam and Eve from the face of the earth and start over, make two new people, who would have seen it? Nobody. But God is so loving and God is so kind and God is so gentle and God is so long-suffering that when the very first two people mess up, God not only doesn't start over, he gives them a do-over called grace. He loved on them. Isn't that crazy? Because you wouldn't have done that. You'd have made you two new people just like me. I'm like, look, I made you out of dirt. I'm making two new ones. It's like, we're not starting like this. You ever tell your kids that? This is not how this is going down. You go on a trip someplace on a vacation and it's supposed to be fun. We're having fun. Like, if you don't want to have fun, we'll just start over. What does God do? That's the beginning. That's the beginning of man's time on this earth. Man's on earth for a little bit of time and man messes up and God loves on him. Isn't that crazy? That's how much God loves you. Now do you understand why for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that the world through him might be saved? You see, it's not that you lead with God's sovereignty. It's not that you lead with God's holiness. He is those things. But there's not a person in this room. If Jesus had come in his splendor and majesty and glory and holiness and perfection, had Jesus come that way, we would have all died. So he came as a babe in a manger in that beginning. And he came for the express purpose to die in your place. That kind of love. Let's finish up this passage. The old commandment is the word which you heard in the beginning. Love me and please don't eat of that tree. And again, now a new commandment. Which is it? Is it old or is it new? Could I tell you it's actually both? Because God's always been love. He's never not been loved. He wasn't hateful in the Old Testament. He wasn't a meanie in the Old Testament. He wasn't a wrathful, vengeful God in the Old Testament. He wasn't putting the children of Israel out in the wilderness for 40 years so that he could just watch them squirm. Oh, this is going to be good. He's sitting up there in heaven. So how hungry are you? No, God hated the fact that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, but it was absolutely necessary for them to come to terms with themselves. That they had to relate to God in love. That's why Moses got punished. He misrepresented God, right? It wasn't that Moses was a bad guy, but he misrepresented God to the people. No, I wanted you to just speak to the rock, Moses. You didn't need to hit it. You did not need to beat my son because my son died for you. That's really what he was saying. There's going to come a time when the rock's going to come and all you're going to need to do is speak to the rock to be saved. You're just going to need to ask. You're not going to need to beat him and you're surely not going to need to beat yourself. A new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because darkness is all is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
And he who says he's in the light and hates his brother, and we'll cover this next time, is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light. He's basically saying, look, there's a contrast between those people who are walking in darkness, those people who love the way the Lord loves and walk in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, the focus here is actually going all the way back to the love of God in verse 5. And it is now speaking this new commandment. Here it is. Here's the command. I, I want you to love the way I love. And so, unfortunately, in our world, we kind of toss the word love around in a little bit of a flippant way, don't we? I mean, we have people who love Budweiser. We have people who love TV. We have people who love cars. We have people who love grandma, apple pie, and French ice cream. You know, it, we, we have people who love all kinds of things. Matter of fact, we even reduced it to L-U-V. Well, <laughs> but that's not the kind of love that God's talking about. And so we need to be very specific to define what kind of love is being talked about here. I'll remind you one of the blessings of our new website, as you go and you go to the media center, you can go to any back study, you can watch it on video, you can download the slides, you can do whatever you want there. But I want to remind you that we've already gone through 1 Corinthians 13. And so I will cover very briefly what we cover in that study. And, and that is from God's perspective, he's being very specific here. And in fact, the Apostle John uses exactly one word out of the four that are in your Bible for love, and it's agape. It's the love that sent Jesus from heaven to earth to die in your place. It's God's love way that he relates to you. It's the love that allowed Jesus from the cross to cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's the answer to Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, Abba, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? Well, because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The answer to Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani is you. It's me. Why? Because Jeff needs a savior. And I can't save myself. I need to be loved because I'm unlovable. I need to be made right before a holy God because I'm not holy. And so the God of love from before the beginning of time sees Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that lamb actually comes to Calvary's cross and says, I love you this much. Agape love. Not phileo. Not philea. Not deep, wonderful, abiding friendship. And by the way, all four of these should be in every marriage in this room. There should be deep, abiding friendship. Surely the disciples had that. And at times they expressed Agape. A death to self, love, the very love that husbands, if you're here today, 
You have been commanded by the Lord, and husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And then we're told what kind of love that is and gave his life for it, the church. We're to die to ourselves to love our wives. That's the type of love that's in view from the cross. And that's the type of love that we're to have as husbands. So it's absolutely a part of every marriage. Deep friendship, companionship. You you want to be around that person. I want to be around Jesus. I can't wait to go walk with Jesus. Talk with Jesus. I, I don't know how long I have to wait in line to be able to do that when I get to heaven, but I can't wait. I certainly actually like Jesus, general affection. In my marriage, I, I will tell you, I, I, I not only love my wife, I like my wife, and I love spending time with my wife. And of course, there's that fourth part. And by the way, the Greek word that's used for love, eros, which is seemingly the only word that we use in English anymore. Everything is about erotic whatever. And you can see that when we sell hamburgers and cars and newspapers and you name it. We have so overemphasized the one word that's never used in the New Testament, by the way. That again should be part of every marriage. There's physical attraction. There there should be physical love. There should be what we would call erotic love within every marriage. But only one love is in view as far as God's concerned. And that is the love that sent Jesus from heaven to earth. The love that despised the shame but endured that which was set before him that he might die on Calvary's cross so that if we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. That is the kind of love that John's talking about. So is that love old or new? Is agape old or new love? Is it some kind of strange, bizarre new emphasis? What is it? And again, the Greek language actually helps us. Because the Greeks had two ways to understand new. And we actually have that too, except we only use one word. We use the word new in English. And so the only way that you understand it is by the nouns that are used in conjunction with it and the verbs that are surrounding it. Or the adverbs. Now, if I were to tell you, if you have a 2019 car, you would say that is a new car. Amen? But compared to a horse and buggy, a 2004 is also a new car. Amen? And so you would say that there's a little different in quality and time in that particular scenario. But is it that we're talking about just new in time? Or is there a picture of this being new in quality? You see, because the latest year model is the one where it senses when you get close to the car and because you have your little fob in your purse, ladies, the doors open and it says, welcome, Mr. Gill. Can I tell you I hate that? It's like it frightens me that my car knows that I'm coming, okay? But you see, that's a new quality of car, isn't it? 
And then you've got the little touch screen in the middle. It also knows your name. This also frightens me. And then the thing that really scares me is somehow it knows my body temperature and knows to turn on the seat warmers. This frightens me. That's because it's a brand new, new quality of car. And that is what this passage is making a statement about. This is a completely new way for us to understand the love of God. And in that sense, it's not new in that it's actual agape love. It's new in how we can relate to it. Why would that be? Because Christ has now died on Calvary's cross. For Adam and Eve, they were waiting. For Abraham, he waited. For Isaac, he waited. For Jacob, he waited. For everyone to the time of Christ, they waited. But once Jesus died, there's now a new commandment. And that commandment is this. It's not new in time because God's love has always been God's love. He's never changed how he loves. But he now changes how we relate to his love, doesn't he? Now it's by grace and through faith. It's no longer by the law. It's the reason there in 1 Corinthians 13 that as we took our time journeying there not long ago in our Thursday night study, I absolutely reminded you that you have to read 1 Corinthians 13 in its context. Because if you go right now to Home Goods over in Torrance, I guarantee you you're going to find 1 Corinthians 13 in there a dozen times. Everybody quotes that about love. Which is true, it is the love chapter. But the context is spiritual giftedness. That a truly spiritually gifted person, someone who deeply knows the Lord and wants to live out their Christian life and experience on this earth, actually walks in God's love. Lives in God's love. And that's why it begins... If I could speak with tongues and men, of men and angels, but I have not agape, if I have not God's kind of love, I am as a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. I am absolutely useless to the Lord. If I could speak in tongues and toss mountains into the sea, if I could do all manner of all things, if I had everything there is, but I don't have love, I am nothing. You see, that's not new. That's the same love that Adam and Eve got in the garden. That's the same love that Jacob got in the book of Genesis. Lying, scheming, deceiving Jacob. And God uses them anyway. You see, so what it boils down to is a new emphasis on love. And you might be asking yourself, well, how can one commandment take the place of everything else? How how could that happen? And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13, if you would, for just a moment. Put your finger in 1 John, turn to Romans chapter 13, go back a few chapters, a few books. You see, how is it possible that the same love that was in the beginning is now a new commandment, even though the the love is the same in Genesis as it is today? How is it that there's a new commandment? 
verse 8, Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The very thing that Paul would write to the church at Galatia. Talking about spiritual giftedness again, he says, look, against these things, against the fruit of the Spirit being lived out in someone's life, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self, all those things, against such things there is no law. Do you know why it says that? Because love is supreme above all law. Above everything that God is in holiness, above all that he is in his absolute sovereignty and his knowledge and power, above everything else. The cross gives us the picture of the emphasis of love. And I can prove it to you. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not cover, uh, covet. If there's any other commandment, in other words, he's saying, look, if I, I missed a commandment here, if I didn't quote something that you remember as a commandment from the Lord, they're all summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and love does no harm to a neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do you get it? You you see, you could be absolutely perfect and still be unloving and not be the person that God wants you to be. You can have very accurate theology and be unloving and not get the point across because God did not send his son so that our theology would be correct, though you should have correct theology. God didn't send his son so that you would simply follow the rules. Amen? And praise God for it. Because some of y'all ain't doing too good at following no rules, okay? There's a few people in this room that I can tell you right now are not living perfect lives before the law of God still to this day. And you've walked with the Lord for a long time. Hallelujah, God still loves you anyway. Amen? He's not relating to you by the law. He's relating to you by the love. He's relating to you through the forgiveness of the cross. You see, the emphasis then becomes the agape love of God. That's why Jesus reminded us, look, this is how you're going to know that all men are my disciples if they have love one for another. That is not an overstatement as some have accused parts of the church of making it so. That is the supreme law. That's what we just read. The number one commandment is that you love other people the way God loves them. It's not that you try and make them holy because you're now the, you're, you're the sin police. I am the judge of the judges. No. Other people are going to know that you're one of God's kids if you love people. Why? Because God loves people. Novel idea, amen? Jesus didn't come to save buildings. Jesus didn't come to save denominations. Jesus did not come to save theology. He didn't even come to save the Bible. He came to save men, women, people. 
He loves you. And so now the emphasis becomes his love. And yes, his love will relate to you doing what he says. Yes, his love will play out in your life that you're going to become like Jesus. And you'll sin less. But at the top of your theology is a God who loves you. That's why Jesus came in the first place. That's the new emphasis. And you can't live the true Christian life without love. Why do we know this to be true? Because of the new example. Jesus commands you to do something. John echoes that command. We've been told, love one another. That's how other people are going to know you're actually saved. Can I tell you, if you get a couple of people together and talk to them about any subject of theology, there will not be 100% alignment almost ever. If you talk to people about a specific verse and you ask them to give you some truth that emanates from that verse that can be applied, you're going to get lots of different things. But there's something that no believer should ever doubt. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? And so we then are supposed to be that kind of love to the world because that's what Jesus did. Do you want me to prove that to you? His name is Judas. His name is Judas. And here's how this went down. You you might remember that at the Last Supper, the First Communion, whichever you want to call it, at that First Last Supper... The disciples were gathered at that triclinium, that dining arrangement, and they're seated next to Jesus was, guess who? Judas. You know what I'm doing if I'm Jesus? Peter, in a little while, you're going to use that sword to lop off Malchus's ear. I got a better idea. He's right here. Could you make him like eight to ten inches shorter? Just right through here. And oh, by the way, the guy that's writing this letter that wrote the Gospel of John was originally in Mark chapter 3, not known as the disciple whom God loved. He was known as one of the Bar Boangerous brothers, the sons of thunder. Not only was he not loving, when they saw some guys messing up, they asked Jesus the following question, James and John. Shall we call down fire and fry them? (laughs) What did Jesus say to Judas the next time he saw him, the last time he saw him? Privately, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas, don't do this. Judas, there's still a chance. Judas, there is still, while you have breath, there is opportunity for you to repent and turn from this. Jesus did not expose Judas to the end. That's the love of God. You see, because if I had been the Lord... Judas never leaves the Last Supper. It is his Last Supper. You know what I'm saying, right? 
He's not getting up from that table. I'm asking him all the questions right there. It's like, dude, come on. Because y'all be getting a beat down from the sons of thunder pretty soon. But Jesus loves him. Even in his sin. While you were yet sinning, Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, died for you. When you were actively thumbing your, you're, you're like, eh, to the Lord. Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Does that not boggle your mind? Because I remember my salvation experience. I wasn't exactly in a mood to be saved. My parents had just gone through this insane divorce. And I hated everyone. I burned with rage and hate. And a God of love reached into my heart and said, Jeff, I can fix that. And he began that process. That process didn't happen overnight, by the way. My high school years, oh, there was a little bit of rage still left. And God working. But that example of Christ's love was at work in me while the world was trying to work on me. God did that work. I stood there at one of those insane high school dances that every high school still has. They've just gotten worse over the decades. The guy that's trying to start a fight, I said, fine, go ahead. Stick the knife. Pulls out a switchblade. Right here. He did. A switchblade hanging on my chest. I almost beat that young man to death. Were not for two coaches, two football players, he would have died. Why? Because Christ's love hadn't got to where it needed to go in my life. But I can tell you God didn't leave me there. God made me very, very, very aware. Jeff, this is where this goes. This is what you don't want to be. Jeff, do you remember what I did for you? You see, my example is Jesus. Jesus died for me. And I'm supposed to die to myself for others. I'm not supposed to walk in darkness. I'm supposed to walk in the light. I'm supposed to be an example so other people can experience what I've already experienced. Now, I don't know whether you ever put your own personal faith to those types of tests where you say, Lord, how do I stack up to this stuff? It's super important that you do. You're not saved because of how you measure up, but you should check and see where you're at every once in a while. Because there is also a new experience of how we now relate because of this love. You see, because my words and my actions, I, I would hope, now after all these decades, are pretty close to the same. 
when I tell you about God's love, I also live out God's love. Because you can't take love and light and living and and pull them apart. That love that's in you, that light that's in you, that's supposed to shine out of you, and so let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That light that's supposed to come out of you now comes out because you're so full of light. Your living exudes the light of the love of the Lord. That agape. That's what happens. So it is a totally new experience. It affects every part of you. And all of a sudden, you have happened to you what's happened to me. I can't even watch the Hallmark Channel anymore. Whereas I not only had no compassion, I was filled with hate and rage. Now I feel sorry for imaginary people. I watch them, they lose their puppy and it's lost. And I'm like, oh, no, find the puppy. My life has been so radically altered by the love of God that that's my default position. It's like I just emote to everything. It's like, Lord, God wants you to have that type of experiential understanding so that when the world sees you, they see his love. You don't just talk about it, you live it. You actually have compassion. You don't tell people how to be compassionate. You tell them that the reason you are the way you are is because of what the Lord Jesus has done in your life. That's who I am. I make no bones about it. And some people go, oh, you know, you're kind of mushy for a pastor. Oh, well. (laughs) Sorry. I feel things that I'm hadn't thought forever because of the way the Lord has worked in my life. It's like, Lord, I know that person is hurting. I'm supposed to hurt. I know that person's having joy. I'm supposed to have joy. I'm supposed to feel about other people the way God feels about them. Because if I feel the way I feel about them, not good. Right? You know what I'm saying? You wake up in the morning, like you're not thinking, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. You're thinking, when I get to work, that guy better not be there. (laughs) That's why you need the experience of Jesus in your life. So that during the drive, God can convict you of that. And by the time you get there, you're like, Lord, you're right. I'm a knucklehead. Forgive me. Maybe no book of the Bible illustrates the, the, the blinding power of hatred like the book of Esther. Man, Haman hung on his own gallows, right? Don't let the gallows of hatred get into your life. Don't let those things of the past stay resident. Let the love of God push them out. Be who God wants you to be. You see, because if you don't, there's kind of a price. There's a price you'll pay. He won't walk in victory. 
Oh, you might think that you're right where you're supposed to be, but you'll be stumbling and bumbling your way around. You're not going to be living in the light. You're just going to be thinking that you're living in the light. And you're going to call it righteousness. And you're going to call it, uh, I have proper theology. And you're going to call it, I have practical holiness. You're going to call it all kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is, you're loveless. You don't have the love that God wants you to have. And trust me, next week you'll understand that God absolutely hates sin. But he loves people. He loves people. Even wretched, yucky, actively sinning people. That's why when the guys from Westboro Baptist Church showed up here and they're picketing us. That's why we took them donuts and coffee and, you know. Their response to that was, they sent me a three-page, four-page letter saying that I was the great whore of Babylon. (laughs) Seriously. I'm like, well, kind of wasn't what I was thinking, but... So I sent him a little note back. I'm praying for you. Love, Pastor Jeff. You know they're freaked out over that. Because love covers a multitude of transgression. You see, you don't want to be unloving. You don't want to have a second tragic result of stumbling other believers. You don't. Because I'll tell you, there's something that everybody can spot. They might not spot your incorrect theology. They may not spot maybe a lack of practical holiness in your life, but they will spot if you're unloving. Oh, they'll spot unkindness just like that. I can put any person in this room in front of four or five-year-olds and I can tell you whether you're walking with Jesus. Dead serious. You know how? Because those little kids have love-o-meters in them. They haven't figured out all this other stuff, but they do know one thing, somebody who actually loves them. And a third thing, you start living in the lack of love, you're going to absolutely be stymied in your walk with the Lord. Because you're not going to be able to be used by God until you love the way the Lord loves. And that's not saying you're not saved. That's just saying if you want to do greater things for the kingdom, you need to be like Jesus is. And he loves. And he loves mean people and angry people, and hateful people, and people who are in sin. He loves gays and lesbians and transgendered people. He loves people, no matter what their flavor of sin is. That doesn't mean he wants to leave them in that sin. It simply means that if you're going to reach them, you've got to love on them first. You walk up to somebody who's struggling with sin and just going, man, you are the most wretched, vile, decrepit person I've ever seen and you're going straight to hell. You know, in here, this is the body of Christ. I need to tell you the truth. You're ready to receive it, most of you. But the first time when you meet somebody, if all you do is beat them up, guess what part of your Jesus they want? None. None. They need to know that God loves them. So put that first. Put that first. 
chances are they already know they're a mess. And you'll get a chance to talk to them about that mess that they're in. But tell them that Jesus loves them. That you want to love on them too. Because it's the kindness of the Lord that draws people to repentance. That's what gets them to that place to where they recognize who they are and what they need. I just want to live like Jesus lives. I want to love like Jesus loves. And I pray you do too. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. I want to let you know, maybe, maybe someone came in today and you don't know the Lord yet. You heard this message about a God who loves you and you want to know that God. He wants to know you. And so I'm going to give you a little task right after service. Right over in our prayer room, right in that corner. I want you to go from where you are right now and just simply go over there and say, I want to know Jesus. And one of our prayer team members just pray a simple prayer with you and get you started on your journey because the truth of the matter is God loves you. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. But you've got to love him back. And you need to invite him into your life. For the rest of us, maybe some of the things you're carrying around today you just need to let go of. And just start loving people. You'd be surprised what it'll do. You'd be surprised how it'll transform your neighborhood and your schools and your homes, your marriages, your tasks and goals as a parent. Because nothing draws people like love does. Nothing does. And so let's love like Jesus loves. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Lord, we thank you that you first loved us. Lord, that you weren't looking for perfect people when Jesus came. You were looking to show us the way and the truth and the life. And so, Lord, we pray that your love would be manifest in us. Lord, we want to be holy. Lord, we desire to be sinless. We want to live our lives the way you would want us to live our lives. That help us to love people the way you love people. Help us even be loved on by others, Lord, in our our times of difficulty and trial and struggle. Lord, sometimes we cut ourselves off from your love. And it's the very thing that we need. And so, God, we give you our lives afresh and anew. Make us, Lord, into bright, beaming lights of your love. Planted on a hill, Lord, so that other people can see who you are and how much you love them. Use us, Lord, to tell this world about your love, your real love. In Jesus' name, amen.